This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. For being with us, please uh, turn in the Bible to the book of Psalms, largest book in the Bible, kind of in the middle. If you do not have a copy of the Scriptures, really like you to have a copy today. If you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible. You have to leave those hands up and they'll bring that to you so that you can turn to the book of Psalms with me to Psalm 29. Today we're going to read this entire psalm and look closely at it. So please try to have a copy of the Scriptures that you can look at. We'll begin today here in Psalm 29. Begin reading a Psalm of David. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Verse 1, Psalm 29. This is God's Word today addressing us. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple, all cry, Glory! Verse 10, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. Oh, may He do that for you today. Give you strength and give you peace. Behold the glory of the Lord and give Him praise. That's our main point today. Charles Spurgeon says, a 19th century Baptist pastor commenting on this psalm, that a thunderstorm is the church bell of the universe. 
calling God's people to worship. A thunderstorm is God in action. Psalm 29 is a call to worship. John Calvin, the great 16th century reformer, said, God, it is true, speaks in all His creatures, all, his, all of creation. But here, in Psalm 29, the prophet David mentions those sounds which rouse us from our drowsiness, or rather our lethargy by the loudness of their noise, the crack of thunder. We can't give God anything. He doesn't need us to give Him strength or glory. Strength and glory are His attributes, His characteristics. It's who He is. We are called though by Psalm 29 this morning to recognize them. We're called to honor Him and praise Him for His mighty power and His glory. And actually, it's our delight. And it's the purpose of this psalm. We're going to begin today, though, with a little introduction of the psalms. We're going to come back and look carefully at Psalm 29. We're going to begin today with an introduction. We're doing a, a very short six sermons on the book of Psalms. A short summer series, which we have done before. We do on occasion on the book of Psalms. Kind of a summer psalm series. And I'm going to just spend a few minutes introducing the entire series, the entire book. And then we'll look at Psalm 29. William Plumer was an American Presbyterian minister in the 19th century. And he wrote what is considered one of the great commentaries on the Psalms. I have it. I can barely pick it up. His commentary is 1,211 pages long. The first sentence he writes in the introduction, he just says, the Psalms are wonderful. The Psalms are wonderful. He said in all his Christian life and in his pastoral ministry, which he said wasn't short, it wasn't uneventful, it wasn't free from dark days and what he called sharp sorrows, he was never able to receive or to give comfort as a pastor without turning to the Psalms. I think Corey and Julia Moles would probably agree with him. They think the Psalms are wonderful. They think the Psalms have brought them great comfort when life hasn't been free of dark days and sharp sorrows. And I've asked them to come this morning and to share a testimony with you. So could you welcome them? Corey and I would first like to thank you all for your prayers and support over the last um, three years. Many of you knew and loved us before we even met you. And we sincerely thank you. For those of you who don't know our story, we would like to share part of our journey and how the last three years have forever impacted our lives. Corey and I met and were married in 2012. Corey grew up in this area and I grew up in Illinois. I'm a Yankee. 
We lived in South Bend, Indiana, where a year later we welcomed our son Jackson on July 9th, 2013. After Jackson turned one, we thought we had a healthy, uh, normal one-year-old little boy. However, we soon found out that Jackson had a rare genetic disorder called MPS1, Hurler syndrome. Soon after, Jack started receiving great treatment at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. The primary treatment was a bone marrow transplant, and we expected to be in the hospital three to four months. However, after 15 months in the hospital, half of which spent in the pediatric intensive care unit, eight major surgeries, two emergency intubations, countless rounds of chemo, severe blistering from head to toe, lung disease, difficulty breathing, and a tracheotomy. On February 2nd, 2016, we lost our baby boy. Jackson left this earth and went to be with the Lord. Jackson Douglas was the bravest kid I have ever known. Nine out of ten times, he had a smile on his face. Like Corey said, Jackson endured so much at an early age, yet he fought hard. However, Corey and I worked hard to give him as much normalcy as possible. He had tons of toys, watched cartoons, took naps, and was made to eat his veggies, sometimes. All the while, someone from our family was with him every single minute of every day. Corey and I alternated nights in the hospital, and even though Corey still worked full time, he helped me by letting me get out, rest, and enjoy relationships with my fellow hospital moms. Corey and I processed and dealt with the diagnosis, hospital ups and downs, and the final days of Jax's life differently. However, through the entire journey, God was our strength. And I don't just mean the cliche saying, but truly I felt the Lord with us every single day. Corey and I grew spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. We both had different ways of facing this trial, but our priority was loving each other, taking care of our son, and making sure the Lord was the central theme that glued us together. I can remember one night during a very difficult period in our time at the hospital. I was on the phone with my brother Todd. All I remember was Todd encouraging and comforting me, but the realization started to creep in. What if we lose that precious little boy? What's the point of anything? Nothing matters. I don't even know if my life is worth living. I couldn't even bear the thought of it. Seeing that little boy go through what he did made me question everything about my life. The Lord in his mercy never left me through it all. And I came to see that I frequently make other things besides God, many of which good in themselves, like providing for my family or what others think of me, into ultimate things, my driving force, my trust, my happiness, my hope. I'm afraid this is so basic, but it's true. I found the only logical answer was that Jesus is either Lord of everything in my life or nothing at all. It couldn't be anything in the middle. But that's exactly, this half-in approach was exactly how I was approaching God in my heart. It was as if all the events in my life led me to see this and I was broken before God. The Lord in His mercy and kindness opened His Word to me in new ways following this. The Lord used numerous parts of Scripture, but specifically the book of Psalms deeply impacted me in significant ways. The Psalms richly produce awe and wonder 
fear in my daily walk with God that I never really experienced before. The Psalms instructed me in reflection, in prayer, in praise, in grief, and in how to trust Him through any possible situation. For example, many of the cries for help and refuge heard in the Psalms ring more real to my heart. Psalms 33:18, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. My friends, God supplied overwhelming grace to our family through these dark times. Today is Jax's fourth birthday. We miss our son terribly. But we have a great living hope that we are celebrating today. And one day we will see him again. Thank you. Ascribe to the Lord glory. He gives strength to the weak and He gives peace to the anxious. The Psalms are wonderful. They're a treasure. They're a gift. There's there's nothing that can illustrate that more than that testimony. The Psalms inform our experience. This is what Corey was talking about. They capture life for us. We experience good things. We experience good times. We experience tragedy and trial and suffering. And the Psalms capture it all and we realize we're not alone. We're not alone. God's people have walked through this before. And we have these songs to sing when we go through these things. The Psalms are God-centered. They they equip us to interpret it all from God's perspective. They have a divine perspective. We understand what we're going through in relation to the living God. And they give us words, don't they? To express to God our hope in Him. Our fears. They give us words to express joy and praise and thanksgiving and sorrow. They give us words so we can worship Him and tell Him about our pain. There's not one season of life where they're not relevant. The Psalms are a gift. They're meant to strengthen us and comfort our soul. They're seemingly an inspired song for every experience. A spiritual, inspired, Holy Ghost-inspired song for every experience. There's Psalm 88 when you feel like there is absolutely no hope and you're deeply depressed. There's Psalm 88. And then, when you're just filled with joy and you're like, Walt, you have to sing 
to God and rejoice no matter how it affects everybody else in the office. There's Psalm 150 to celebrate. There's psalms of lament and psalms of trust. Sometimes we don't feel the way the psalmist feel, but the psalms are anointed. They're powerful. And as we sing them by faith, we actually change. They've been called the hymn book of the Savior because Jesus Himself sang these songs on the cross. He sang Psalm 22. They're unique poems. They equip us. They're theological. They teach us about God. About His sovereignty. About His wisdom. About His goodness. About His power. About His strength. About His glory. About His might. But you know what? It isn't uncommon for the Psalms to be neglected in the life of a Christian. We're studying the Psalms and we give summers to studying the Psalms at times because we don't want this to be the case for us as individuals and for our congregation. In 1882, Spurgeon observed, it is to be feared that the Psalms are by no means prized as in the earlier ages of the church. That was in the 19th century. What would he say today? Well, here's a modern commentator, Richard Wells, in a book, Forgotten Songs. He says this, of course, even apart from the malaise of biblical illiteracy, there are special reasons for neglect of the Psalms in the 21st century. The language of poetry doesn't easily connect in a soundbite culture. The Psalms call for time, not tweaks. Time to read, ponder, pray, digest. It's easy to be too busy for the Psalms. Then again, the strong emotions of the Psalms make many modern people uncomfortable. Which he says is ironic since our culture seems to feed on feelings. On top of everything else, strange to say, the Psalms are just so well God-intoxicated. We are fascinated with ourselves. The Psalms are fascinated with God. Our goal is to study the Psalms this summer and prize them. We're going to begin today with Psalm 29, a poem written by David, King David, a hymn of praise to God for His awesome power. It begins in heaven, and it follows a thunderstorm as it moves in from the sea, across the land, to Jerusalem, to the temple, and it ends with a blessing. Our main point is behold His glory and give Him praise. And the psalmist hammers this home by telling us, number one, to worship the Lord. Number two, to behold His glory. Number three, to trust in His strength. So number one, David tells us, worship the Lord in light of His glory. Verse one, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It begins in heaven with angels telling them, 
It's like David says, angels, acknowledge that these things are true of God. Acknowledge that He should be admired for these wonderful attributes of His. This is true worship that's being called for in light of how glorious God is. It's a poem about the majesty of the Lord. And it's, it's calling angels and men and women to give God the worship He deserves. Yahweh is the Hebrew. And it's the Lord, the covenant name, the personal name of God for God's people. It's repeated 18 times in this poem. This poem is about the Lord. It's about our Lord. It's about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, it's about the God of Israel. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were made through Him, John tells us in his Gospel. Without Him, Jesus was not anything made that was made. He made the thunderstorm. He is the Creator. This is a psalm about Jesus. Glory. Note, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. These are the things we ascribe to ourselves. These are the things great men and angels should give glory to God for, but we have a tendency, don't we, to claim glory, want glory, claim strength. But these belong to God alone. Pause for a minute and know that God is calling for humility. There's a promise of strength and peace for the humble. There's a promise of weakness and fear and anxiety for the proud in this psalm. Are you a great man? Are you a great woman? Are you a great businessman? Do you have a great education, a great career? Are you a king with a great army? Humble yourself. This is a call to worship the Lord. Verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory Do His name. His name is who He is. Worship the Lord in or for the splendor of holiness. Ascribe. Give worship. Bow down. Give Him true worship. This is a call to engage our minds, engage our hearts, humble ourselves and serve Him. Spurgeon says men are backward in glorifying God. And especially great men who are often too much swollen with their own glory to spare time to give God His rightful praise. This is the message of Psalm 29. We need to think for a minute, how much praise have I given to God this week? In all that God does, His aim is true worship. He reveals in His Word that He is supreme. He is most valuable. Most excellent. We should worship Him in the splendor of holiness. We should worship Him for how worthy 
He is. His supreme worth. We worship what we value. Dr. Piper tells us worship is the experience of valuing and cherishing and treasuring what we perceive to be our greatest treasure. And Jesus said it plainly. That the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship God in spirit and truth. And Psalm 29 is commanding us just to worship Him according to His supreme worth. He is the greatest. Tell Him. Tell the world. Say it. There is a glory due His name. And He is zealous about exalting it. He, he aims to exalt His glory so we will rejoice in Him. And praise Him. What, what is the glory of God? We're actually given a hint in our text in verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord notice the glory do His name. And then the next line, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It goes from glory to holiness. And this is a Hebrew poem. And there's parallelism here. And so glory and holiness are really the same. This sounds the same. If you remember Isaiah 6, remember the seraphim's praise in Isaiah 6, one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So both Psalm 29 and Isaiah 6 interchange God's glory and His holiness. Holy speaks of what God is. And glory speaks of all that proceeds from Him. The glory of His name is the revelation of who He is. He gives this revelation in His Word and in creation. And true worship sees it. And then reflects it back to Him through ascribing to Him. Giving to Him. The glory do His name. Worship the Lord for the splendor of His holiness. Dr. Piper helpfully says, glory is like God's holiness being streamed. Like you're on Netflix. It's being streamed through all creation. It's His holiness that is the glory of God. And that, that leads us to David's next point, he tells us to, number two, behold His glory in the thunderstorm. Verses 5-9 through nine are the meat of the psalm. It's the main section. And it just describes this thunderstorm that moves in from the sea, the Mediterranean Sea in the north. And you can see, he talks about Lebanon, Syrian, Kadesh, down to Jerusalem, to the temple. So there's this thunderstorm just moves in, in the north, then it moves south to the temple where God's people are gathered. 
And it's as if you're kind of in the temple and you're able to observe this thunderstorm move in and then move south. And you're watching. And we're supposed to behold His glory in this thunderstorm. Three times in these verses, David says that God's voice is heard in great thunderstorms that are full of power and majesty. There's nothing in our world, in our universe, in all the universe, which can't be used to picture and consider the Creator God. There's no phenomenon in nature, though so awful, one commentator said, is a thunderstorm. And David celebrates this. He sees the glory of God. He sees the power of God in a thunderstorm. We all know thunderstorms are glorious. Spurgeon says this, just as the eighth psalm is to be read by moonlight when the stars are bright, as the nineteenth psalm needs the rays of the rising sun to bring out its beauty, so this, Psalm 29, can be best rehearsed beneath the black wing of tempest by the glare of the lightning. The verses march to the tune of thunderbolts. And so, as I was preparing this message, the Lord very kindly provided a great thunderstorm. I ran out of my office up to the soccer field and I took this picture of a thunderstorm going right over our church building. That should put the fear of God in you. In fact, I ran in just in time to miss the rain and I went through the whole office to gather everybody to come out and watch the thunderstorm because I was so excited. Couldn't get anybody to come out. <laughs> except for one person. Didn't seem very excited. It was, it was different when my kids had to do what I made them do. And, which isn't the case at all anymore. But back in the day, and grandkids don't pay any attention to you, nobody listens to me at all. But I used to run out to the front porch and we would watch the storms come in. And I, I love storms and I tried to cultivate a love in their hearts. One of my kids still loves the weather. He'd love to be a meteorologist and I think this is good. One guy said accurately, one of the greatest tragedies of the fall is that we get tired of familiar glories. It's, it's, it's a curse. We get tired. There, there are wonders all around us, but we get tired of them. Piper says we're excited by trivia and bored by grandeur. The glory of God should awaken a sense of wonder. One time we were at the beach for a real big time hurricane. And this kid that loves the weather was very excited. And I was hearing reports that you were supposed to evacuate this 
this island that we were on in Florida, we were supposed to get out because the hurricane was coming. I was kind of like, I doubt that. And we had been there with this family who now lived in the north but was from the area. And we had seen them and kind of hung out with them a little bit. And, but I thought, I'll call him because he grew up here. He'll know, do we really need to evacuate or not? And I called him on his cell phone. He said, hey, I've been hearing these reports about the hurricane coming. And if we need to evacuate or not, what, what are you going to do? What do you think? And he said, we're in Virginia. <laughs> Thanks a lot, pal. So I got the family ready. I said, we're, we're evacuating. And that son that loves storms is still angry about it. Because he thought and thinks that's my only chance to see this majestic storm. I think he's right. There's something glorious about a storm. And when God's people see the wonders of His power, we're supposed to picture them in the temple as they're watching this storm. They're praising the Lord. From David's perspective, God's work in creation proved that the world was created by Him. That the world is governed by His power. Do I believe God brought that thunderstorm for me to take that picture? Yes, I do. He governs His creation. And He knows nature will awaken in us something. Calvin says, experience tells us that those who are most daring in their contempt or disrespect of God are most afraid of thundering storms and such violent commotions. So his point is God uses them to get their attention. Nothing like a good bolt of lightning to wake up the spiritually blind, the rude, the insensible. It's supposed to awaken in them a, a, a sense of the existence of God. They rouse us. Calvin says, God, it is true, speaks in all His creation, His creatures. But here the prophet mentions those sounds which rouse us from our drowsiness or rather our lethargy by the loudness of their noise. The very figures which David uses sufficiently declare that his design was to subdue by fear the obstinacy which yields not willingly otherwise. Ever heard a big boom of lightning gone? That's God. That's the voice of God. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Oh, you're way too scientific for that, aren't you? Not the biblical authors. The God of glory thunders. Thunder is caused by God Himself. I'm with them. Natural events are God's creation. They serve His purposes. They demonstrate His power. His wisdom. His glory. The voice of the Lord, Calvin says, is terrible. 
The thunderings are terrible. And man in his pride is crazy not to listen. Thunder is more than just nature. It's a great picture of God's voice. It comes from above. It's greater than every other sound. It inspires all. It's independent of mankind. In the Bible at times, thunder would accompany God when He was actually speaking to people. The voice of God. God would answer people in thunder. Even ungodly people will have reverence for God at times in the midst of a thunderstorm. But modern men and women would have us believe it's all just from natural laws and forces, anything but God. But lightning, according to the Bible, is commissioned by God. Sent by the Creator. God governs His creation. He's over many waters. It reveals so much. Verse 3. It's over many waters. So the, the sea, we're supposed to see the sea just driven and tossed by the storm, but over it is the voice of God. He is sovereign. He sits, verse 10 says, enthroned over the flood, which is a reference to Noah's flood. He's sovereign. He's powerful. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. He breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Most famous trees in the world. The strong cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord breaks them. When lightning strikes a cedar of Lebanon, there's no competition, is there? He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Verse 8, shakes the wilderness. Makes the deer give birth. Everybody in the temple shouts, Glory! Spurgeon says, Thunder's no, is in truth no mere electric phenomenon. It's caused by the interposition of God Himself. But our modern wise men will have us believe in laws and forces and anything or nothing so that they may be rid of God. Calvin says, though they possess genius and learning, they employ enchantments to shut their ears against God's voice, however powerful, lest it should reach their ears, their hearts. Philosophers think not that they have reasoned skillfully enough about inferior causes unless they separate God very far from His works. It's a diabolical science, however, which fixes our contemplations on the works of nature and turns them away from God. The best thing I've ever read on this is in The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. He talks about an Australian microbiologist named Michael Denton. He wrote a book called Evolution, Theory, and Crisis. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. But he's a microbiologist looking at stuff, whatever they look at, <laughs> and saying, no, no, no. It doesn't work. 
I read the book. I understood about a third of it. But I had a friend who has a PhD in microbiology and I gave it to him. Read this. Tell me, is this accurate? The science? What do you think about the book? He loved the book. He said it's accurate and faith building. This guy came to the conclusion, I don't know how it all happened, but I can tell you evolution is falling short. It's not answering these questions. Mr. Bridges does a great job of saying, how sad. I know, I know how it happened. And he worships and praises God in the book. It encourages the fear of the Lord. It is foolish. Calvin says, these scientists weave themselves veils lest they should be compelled to acknowledge the hand of God. I'm not going to do that. I want to be verse 9 with the people of God in the temple shouting, Glory when I see a thunderstorm. It's God's thunderstorm. We're going to stop with point three. Trust in His strength and our weakness. This, this psalm ends, may the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. It's really a promise. But the, the translation should be, the Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. The Gospel is the voice of God. And Jeff did a wonderful job this morning of walking us through the atonement. Christ's sacrifice for our sins. It's a powerful word. We got to watch. The Lord's Supper is a gift from God. It's the Word of God. It breaks the cedars of Lebanon. It's the voice of the Lord. The Gospel is powerful today. And what it is saying what the psalmist is pointing to is the Gospel. The Lord will give you strength. The Lord will give you peace. Because of Jesus Christ. He died for you. The Word became flesh. The Word the voice of the Lord, the Word of God, Jesus Christ became flesh. He dwelt among us, John said. We have seen His glory. More glorious than any thunderstorm is the good news about Christ. We have a promise here. When we are weak, He is strong. There is divine strength for the believer. There is divine peace. When you hear that testimony today, you have to know that's divine strength. That's divine. That is God. That is God's voice. That is God's Word. The Psalms. That is God's people. That is God strengthening a couple so that they can stand and give Him glory in the midst of tragedy. Today we're going to close 
with the time of ministry. So we're going to invite you to come to the front. We're going to have ministry teams and the pastoral team up here to pray for you. And I believe this psalm is a call to worship. Behold the glory of the Lord and worship Him and praise Him. But it's also a promise of strength and peace for you. So whatever it might be, maybe you've gone through a tragedy. Come up and let us pray for you. Maybe you are walking through an illness. Let us have our healing team pray for you. May the Lord have mercy on you this morning and heal you. May the Lord give you peace if you're anxious. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're a single adult and you're having a difficult time. You're challenged relationally. Come and let us pray for you. What you need is in this psalm. Strength and peace. Let me pray. Father, thank You for the gift of the psalms. They are wonderful, Lord. These psalms are wonderful. Now I pray for this congregation. I pray for every individual here today, Lord. And I pray that You would meet them as only You can. Whether they come down and let us pray for them or not. Lord, I pray for everyone in here to be affected by how good and glorious and powerful You are. And how You are able to do more than we could ever imagine in our lives. And for that, Lord, we ascribe to You glory. Amen. Please stand. We're going to return to singing. And again, invite you to come and let us pray for you this morning as we conclude. You've been listening to a message by Bill Kittrell given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or Call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.